0: Alrighty. CFB paint back for another episode. It's a man on man. Gosh, what a way to say that we're doing man coverage. It's, it's single coverage tonight. It's Corey and and Steve, and it's just the two of us tonight and we're not re-recording. We're we're soldiering through Steve's early man on man. It, It does not bode well for the rest of the night with, uh, trust me, it's everything here is, is, is appropriate for all ages. Um, well, let's jump into it. We had a couple of topics uh, that we wanted to cover tonight. I think why don't we talk first conference realignment/the slash the ACC turbulence? We got our question on our Instagram from one of our one of our followers and, and uh, a friend of the show. So we'll, we'll talk about that first. Then we'll we'll talk through the spring portal editions uh, and, and and maybe some some news around uh, transfer portal just, just the the happenings of the transfer portal in this most recent window, and then finally we'll have a little bit of a discussion around what early uh, win win totals we've seen from sports books that maybe have surprised us, and I'll, I'll introduce that one a little bit later as we go through it. But yeah, uh, ACC conference uh, conference meetings took place this last couple of days. I think maybe they wrapped earlier today. Actually, today being the 17th of of April or of May rather. Wow. Time's moving quick, but the real, the story is that there are a multitude of teams that are potentially exploring how ironclad the grant of rights agreement is within the ACC and potentially looking for a new home that might offer a more lucrative uh, broadcasting deal or or share of a broadcasting deal of a different conference. Uh, Corey, Take me through your understanding of what's going on in the ACC. What do you expect to happen and and what's inappropriate? I mean, obviously, we're we're not journalists here, but based on what we're hearing, for our audience, we can kind of relay what people think is an appropriate timeline for some of the things that uh, are are likely on the horizon.
1: So the first day that uh, the ACC met as a conference, news broke out that seven teams had – been meeting to figure out how to break this uh grant of rights contract to figure out how they could get out of the acc and essentially it's the the problem is not breaking up the acc it's the grant of rights is that is really what's holding it together and the fact that they're not going to be able to get as much money as all the other conferences i mean the big 12 just signed a signed a deal and they're making going to be making more per year across the conference than the acc is and i think the the numbers that they that florida state quoted were like 30 million like less than the sec even so and the big 12 so like or big 10 sorry so there's a bunch of issues here in the fact that like the acc is not going to be getting as much money and i get that they want to break the grant of rights if you're going to break this grant of rights you are going to have to have another a ton, a ton of teams to dissolve it and you have to have teams to find places landing places and with the big 12 landing such a lucrative contract um and then you have the big 10 and, and the sec which already have lucrative contracts if you can find eight of those teams nine of those teams that that can move over into one of those places, they're going to be ending up getting more money than they would be in the ACC. And so the incentive is for a lot of people to get out there. Um, I think that's the key is to break those grant rights. It's going to be a little difficult. There's got to be some loopholes to to figure out how to do it. Um, There has been talk, there was talk in, in, in the ACC meetings about splitting the revenues and letting teams that are like a little bit higher up or within the playoffs, getting more percentage share, but that's still not going to make up the difference. and so. They came out of the ACC meetings saying, we're combined, we're solid. Of course, you have to say that to the face of everybody. And we all know behind closed doors, they are all still looking for a way out. At least the good, the good teams are. The ones that are going to be left out, <laughs> well, I'm sorry about them, but that's kind of how it works. Um, but, yeah, like everybody came out it's like, oh, yeah, we love the ACC. Of course, we love the ACC right now because we're trying to get what we can out of the ACC to give us enough money to be <laughs> successful. But we're not – there permanently, we're going to do what's in our best interest, and Clemson's going to do what's in their best interest, and you know all those all the teams are going to do what's in their best interest. Um, and as far as time frame, if you get enough teams working at this, I think you can find a way to break this. Um, I, like yeah. and at some point in time, it's going to be worth it. I mean, I don't know what the ACC, how the ACC kind of leverages it to get themselves to be broken up to go where they want. But the ACC is literally uh, on on its last pins and needles, kind of living. Yeah. And I think maybe it's helpful for our listeners that we kind of describe like
0: what's at stake here, right? Uh, what, what's going on is you mentioned that $30 million per year deficit that as far as money coming into ACC schools compared to the SEC and big 10. And that's a, an approximate number. I think it's a, maybe a little bit higher for the, for the big 10 in terms of the gap, just because I think their TV deal is slightly larger than the SEC's. But where that becomes significant is that's, money that you can invest in your program right if i have 30 million dollars more that i can build a larger staff or uh, pay to hire coaches like you know i could potentially be paying coordinators at my school more than the acc could afford to pay a head coach and so it's
1: well it's all of in that the future that makes steve it... yeah keep going sorry
0: yeah, and I think we're we're headed in the same direction here. So it's all things that I can invest. But really, the, I think the the major challenge becomes as as college sports becomes more of a profession or more of a professional sport. Uh, at some point, players are going to be considered employees, and that revenue pool of thirty million dollars more a year is more that you can pay your employees your your players to attend your university and be part of that team so that's where it's it's really problematic for those teams in the acc that are hoping to compete at the highest levels and and so that i think that kind of sets the stage as to why there's a lot of rumblings and 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 some discontent uh, among groups that are are invested in trying to compete at the highest levels uh, and and others that are keen to maintain the status quo and, and aren't really hoping to you know, they're comfortable with a, a football team that has a, a losing record provided it's continuing to generate revenue for the school so i think that kind of details why there's why there's angst on both sides and why there's some that are eager to hold it hold it together and there are others that are really itching to to break it up and so um kind of like you mentioned cory just the, the last thing i'll give some background with our viewers is like that grant of rights what that means is that when a when a school leaves because that grant of rights exists any revenue associated with their broadcasting rights would belong to the conference that they've left the acc rather than with that school so uh, that's the real challenge and the real hurdle that needs to be cleared Uh, and what looks like right now the easiest way potentially to to sort of circumvent that would be to get more than 50 percent of the league to agree to dissolve and then that grant of rights just goes away so that's what uh, is kind of the latest news is that seven universities have at least explored that. Uh, the tipping point would be eight and not just eight exploring it, but eight actually electing to dissolve the conference. And so I think we're a ways out from that.
1: This... Ahead, oh, ahead, I think the thing is... I'll go ahead, Steve. I think the timing is in reality is like, can eight teams find landing places? And And you got to find places that are like, Teams that are going to go up to the Big Ten and up to the whatever, uh, up to the SEC. And then teams that are going to kind of do a, li- a little bit of a lateral move and go to the Big 12. But then you're going to have teams that going to want to, that aren't going to have that places. And I think people want to end up higher than they think they are or think they're better than they think they are. I mean, you have Florida State, Miami, Duke, North Carolina. You have a bunch of these teams that like, which which tier do they end up in and, and which tier should they be in? And their viewpoint of where they should be and, and where the other conferences view that they should be may not align. And then you also have the fact that the Big Ten has that high academic standard as well that they may have to lower to let in some of these schools. I think it's in the Big Ten's best interest to start getting into the SEC's backyard and start taking teams in the backyard of the SEC and bringing in those viewership from that area in a heartbeat. If I'm the Big Ten, I open my doors up. Same with the Big 12. We've already got some teams over there. We've got you know, UCF. We, we are the most expansive conference across the, almost the, entire, the United States. I would, I would open the doors for those lesser teams in a heartbeat because I can expand the markets. Um, but that means more revenue sharing. So who knows?
0: Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a really challenging uh, thing to sort out. Obviously, there's lots of people trying to, to figure out where they fit in. I, I think it's just, it's one of those things in my estimation, the SEC, or the SEC, excuse me, the ACC is dead. Let's let's call it what it is. It's dead. It's it's actually been dead for a while. The, this agreement that they have currently with their own broadcasting deal, I think, they was signed in two thousand eight, uh, and it went to twenty thirty six with no option to renegotiate. And so that's really the at the core of this is that they've got a, a deal with ESPN that heavily favors ESPN. Uh, they they aren't able to renegotiate and move that number up. And for those that are happy with that amount of money and aren't comparing it to conference, to, to other conferences and, and their peers in other conferences, that maybe that's fine. Um, but for those, again, uh, Michael Alford, the athletic director at Florida State, has been one that's been constantly beating the drum of we can't compete against, you know, the University of Florida. And, and heck, in a few years, the University of Central Florida, which just joined the Big 12, will be out earning Florida State uh, a more traditional power in in, in football. So uh, that that's really where I think this is headed, is this thing is going to dissolve at some point. The question is when. Uh, I I don't think anything's imminent. I think some of the, the news that came out in the last 48 hours, a lot of people took that and ran with it, that kind of felt like it was going to dissolve uh, in, in the immediate future. I, I don't believe that's the case. But if you were to tell me that the ACC, it, as it's currently constituted, exists in 2028, I I don't believe that. So I think that things are happening behind the scenes that uh, I don't know if it'll move quite as fast as the Oklahoma to the SEC, Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC and UCLA and USC to the Big Ten. But I think there's there's this last domino to fall once the ACC dissolves or, or a couple of uh, a couple of the major players are somehow able to separate themselves from the conference. I think we'll start to find a more stable environment, at least for, for a bit. Um, I mean, I guess there's also some, some things, some chatter around what's going on with the Pac-12 media deal, but uh, all that to say, I think the ACC does not have, you know, it doesn't have really long-term viability and I don't expect anything immediate to happen, but I, if you were to ask me, I would imagine that a significant portion of those teams, particularly those that are either traditional football powers or having to have very large fan bases. So a couple of North Carolina, for example, I don't anticipate them being in the ACC in the long term moving forward. So
1: so over or under three years before the ACC disbands?
0: I think it'll be announced in three years. I don't think it will maybe have taken place. I, that's a good question. I, I don't know. Again, I don't have any, you know, I'm not a journalist. I don't have any sources on this, but I, the way that I've read it described is basically the, the situation is untenable um, for those that are wanting to compete in, at the highest levels and, and particularly in football, which drives the, the revenue uh, for, for these conferences. Uh, they, they're just going to have to find a way to challenge that. Even if it means ponying up a, a significant large lump sum of money now, borrowing uh, I, I heard it suggested that the, the state universities could potentially borrow from the state and pay that back over you know 20 to 30 years which is an interesting idea um, and, and probably would make sense I think that that would
1: probably be something that they could probably make happen I'll be honest I'll get on a different high horse here like <laughs> sure investing within like the within your country and, and your in and your government, your states and within this within the companies within your states I think governments should be doing that so that they can have other types of funds, this is an opportunity to get interest from, from big company or big, big companies, big schools. I think it's a great idea to do that. Um, I, I I think to under I think under three years, it's it's started to move that direction 100. percent I, I would say if I if it hasn't if we haven't had a team leave by within, within under three years, I'd be very surprised.
0: I think it'll be announced. I don't know if it'll actually have happened yet where, where the, the team is actually now in a separate conference for the next three years.
1: Yeah. I don't know how quickly they'll be allowed, but I think teams will be like, you know what? We're paying our grant rights, like our 500 million to get out. All right. Peace.
0: Yeah. It's wild times uh, for sure. And and thanks to to Kyle for re- uh, reaching out and kind of asking for our take on that. Hopefully that was helpful. Um, let, let's, let's go ahead and shift gears on the other big thing that's kind of happened in, in the sport where it feels like, you know, th- there used to be kind of this quiet period after spring football and, and prior to fall camp where that, that's where, for me, I, those were the longest days of summer. Now, thankfully for those of us that are college football junkies, like there's been other tidbits for us to to kind of consume during that time. One of them being this spring transfer portal window. And I think... Leading into it, a lot of people didn't really know what to expect, because I think this is the first year where they've had that specific window where uh, where players can enter the transfer portal. It's only 14 days, so there's a s- small period of time where players can submit to enter the transfer portal. Once they're in there, they can take as much time as they need to select a new destination, select a new school. But I think I was expecting it to be pretty chaotic. and. By and large, there's there's a few exceptions, but by and large, I think it was much calmer and tamer than most people expected.
1: Yeah, the way some teams of trans uh, some teams kind of approached this portal, it looked like some people were banking on it. Thought it would be a lot more like a lot of people hitting hitting the portal. There weren't as many people hitting the portal as there have been in the past, or, or as as much quality maybe that's hitting the portal as, as there has been in the past. But. Um, some teams definitely dominated and and filled their needs and some teams got beat by the portal and some teams just became completely new teams by the portal.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Maybe we start there. I mean, there's been a lot of chatter around Colorado and them essentially overhauling that entire roster within about nine months uh, of Deion Sanders arriving as head coach in Boulder. I don't know. I like I've looked at it and I, I think I've got two major thoughts, right? Like, number one, I have not scouted every single player that they picked up or that they uh, um, encouraged to enter the transfer portal uh, over the last nine months or so. But one thing that was really interesting to me is, like, looking at a lot of the players that they're bringing in are players from Division I schools that are, are either contributors or are early in their collegiate football careers that, you know, at least some of them have shown some promise. Uh, and so like, you know, we're fans of Florida state. I think a lot's been uh, made of, I think it's now five transfers from Florida state to Colorado. And, you know, having known our roster pretty well, I think you got four guys that will probably contribute and maybe a fifth, but I think at least four that can, can help. I mean, Colorado was a one and 11 team. It wasn't like they were lighting the world on fire. So If you get just capable division one players, you're probably improving, improving your roster for, for the most part, but really interesting to see them go kind of like almost full scorched earth and just say, you know what, we're building this, they were tearing it down to the studs and building it from the ground up.
1: Yeah. The approach is very interesting in the fact that like, we've seen coaches that have come into new, new positions, trying to rebuild through the portal and they've kind of done it a little bit slower. I mean, I think Florida State took what, like, 19 guys over two years. I think Miami took like close to 20 something guys over two, a few years. We've never seen a team bring in what 45, 48 kids this fast. The one thing that Dion won't be able to say is like, "Oh, these aren't my kids. These are the kids that don't want to play for me." Because there are some coaches that have done that and be like, "Well, said, please come pick up your kid. I'm making a reference to Mario Cristobal, of course. Please come pick up your kid. He's he doesn't he's not he's terrible. I didn't recruit him. I don't want him on my team. But these guys are all have been picked by Dion." or he's let them stay on the team. He's not going to be able to say that at all. I've been probably not very lar- – I've been pretty vocal about not being a super fan of, of Dion, and I don't think he's a quality coach in particular. But there's no denying the fact that he has he has the the kind of the draw to bring in some kids. And I think that we have a good chance to see how successful this week. be. If anything, he is paving a new path for potentially rebuilding a team and potentially going from nothing to at least something – and and being having an opportunity to build on that like it's kind of a cool opportunity to see this and i agree like this is not the bottom of pac-12 team it's probably a mid-linked pac-12 team now which would be significantly uh, significantly better now to kind of get off our path a little bit i mean their projected win total is three for next year i think they'd win more than three games but that's just me um and that's a, something we're going to talk about like because I agree, you're bringing in contributors. You're not bringing maybe the top talent of everywhere. I mean, you brought in your, your previous talent for Jack and State, but you're bringing in good guys, like guys that were in their early years or they were contributors to their team. Um, so yeah, I think he's going to be at least a much better team than he was. And at least you have players that want to play.
0: Yeah, I, the, the thing that I think surprises me is just the number of departures that took place after spring football. Uh, one of the things that we've seen a lot of coaches prioritize is taking in transfers that could then spend spring football with their program and kind of have basically a full six, seven months uh, at at their new location heading into a a new season. So uh, it was interesting to like, football and then uh, they had this mass exodus of players and so I, I i don't know how useful spring football was to the, to the university of colorado colorado buffaloes but uh, again i think they've got some quality players they 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 it's going to be interesting i am i'm excited to see what colorado football can do with with that um so one, one might consider them a winner in that they've been able to overhaul their roster again we can look at some of the quality and there there's, there's some players that have some significant production. Um, but there, there's others that maybe are, are kind of newer to college football that uh, for whatever reason, didn't work out at their first stop uh, a year or two in. But I wanted to just highlight just, there really wasn't, in my opinion, a, a bigger loser in the spring transfer portal than Michigan state, which already was coming off of a season where they lost, uh, where they didn't make a bowl game. And then they lost their starting quarterback. Now it sounds like, based on what I've read from from uh, other journalists and publications, that you know, he was probably in a, a pretty tight battle for that starting quarterback job once again. So I, I don't know if it's a slam dunk that he would have been the starter, but nonetheless, he was a two year starter at Michigan State, had a lot of experience and some production. I won't I won't claim he's a, a superstar by any stretch, but uh, Peyton or yeah, Peyton Thorne goes to Auburn, and then their leading receiver from last year, Keon Coleman, entered the transfer portal. Both of them entered, by the way, on the last day of the portal. Uh, so, I, I would imagine if I was the head coach or uh, on the staff of any university, you're probably just sweating it out for these 14 days to see, like, am I going to be able to keep my players? And and they were so close to the to the finish line and end up losing their starting quarterback and their leading wide receiver. Who just today again? We're we're recording this on April seventeenth. Announced that he's going to Florida State, Um, and I don't know. I can't think of a a worse situation than to realize that the very last day that the portal window is open, I'm losing two of my more experienced players on a team that still uh, was below five hundred. Mel Tucker, how how does he how does he circle
1: the wagons, Corey? He doesn't. He he packs it and gets. He he enjoys the lucrative contract he has and he just rides off into the sunset. I,
0: I've told you I've told you my dream job, like obviously doing this full time would be a great it would be a dream job for me. But my second dream job, and actually my probably my more dream job, would be to be a head coach in college football anytime after about twenty seventeen and get fired. Uh, yeah. that is the that is the life. Uh, and, and Michigan state for those, like the reason I joke about this with, with, uh, with Mel Tucker specifically, I think his contract is 90 million and nine years or something like that. It, it's exactly a wrong. lot. I don't know exactly what it is, but that buyout would be a ton. I don't, I don't think he's getting fired this year. Let me make that clear, but he's definitely facing an uphill climb right now yeah. after having a, a, a poor sophomore effort there, a great first season, but a poor sophomore effort and now losing some of his team leaders right at the 11th hour of this uh, spring portal window.
1: It feels almost as if those players kind of snuck out and didn't really want the coaches to really know that they were leaving like a little bit. That's kind of how it feels a little bit.
0: That's exactly how I felt about it. It It's like, yeah, they kind of just snuck out in the dead of night. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if there were conversations that happened before that. Maybe there were, but I I got the sense that it was kind of this, this exodus Uh, and I say exodus is really two players. They did have a, a starting corner also enter the portal, but then, Withdrew and, and and opted to stay at Michigan State, but uh, that is a, yeah, a tough Brandt hand is. to be dealt. Yeah, that's a tough hand to be dealt right at the the end of that portal window because now you're stuck with whatever else is in the transfer portal to replace that production.
1: Yeah, I think what you do have an opportunity though is you have a, an opportunity to kind of just start over a little bit. You have a, a new quarterback who was nipping at the heels heels of, of Thorn um, and kind of like giving him a run for his money. Now there was. There was a reason Keon Coleman moved away. He wanted a better quarterback, and so if the, Noah Kim's about equal, maybe that's the case. But there's so many times that people get the quarterback position and, and who to start wrong. Maybe this Noah Kim guy can spark can spark their team and, and move them in, in the right direction. And in reality, I mean, like, I mean, we can see he had a great, great first campaign, like you said we'll see where two or three years ago or one or two years ago and see if they have enough uh, patience to see if he can write the ship. Cause there's a reason they hired him. I mean, in reality, and he, he's a good defensive mind. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember being a fan of the hire going into it. Just Mel Tucker, a longtime defensive uh, coordinator at Georgia, obviously worked with, with Kirby smart for a while there. One, had one season as the head coach at Colorado and then, then on to Michigan state. So We'll see if you can right the ship, but uh, as of right now, uh, I don't know if there's a, a whole lot of uh, Spartan faithful that's feeling super uh, hopeful or uh, eager for the season to start with uh, some, some late defections in this uh, transfer portal window. Um, I guess the last thing I had on that, uh, just I, we kind of mentioned it, but I figure we'll talk about it. Obviously, we're Florida State fans. Keon Coleman goes to FSU, adds uh, another weapon to what was already a very productive offense. Um, so over this over this last couple of, and I'll, I'll just focus just on the transfers at this point. But you've got two transfer tight ends that are both expected to contribute right away. Uh, a quarterback or not a quarterback? Excuse me, a wide receiver now that it could potentially be wide receiver one or wide receiver two. Again, eight hundred yards in the Big Ten last season. Coupling that with their returning production that they had at wide receiver again, Johnny Wilson, uh, nine hundred plus yards receiving last year matchup problem with both his size and and how well he moves at that size man uh it's hard to not be excited about what the offense can do at
1: florida state in 2023 it's it's hard not to be excited about that um they have sufficient depth but that depth is not necessarily proven as much um as it could be yeah you potentially have two to three starters that are haven't started with your team and haven't had cohesiveness um cohesiveness i don't know if i said that right but um haven't had that chance to gel so that'd be where my question mark with this with this team is to think about that team though and and think about how many of these players are transfers literally if you go look at the starting lineup you might have two originally recruited players everybody else is a transfer your quarterback jordan travis is a transfer your running back is a transfer your top two receivers are a transfer your third third receiver if it's winston wright he's a transfer if it's Um, Kentron Portier, that's when you were actually recruited. And then you look across the offensive line, you have Maurice Smith, their center, who is a recruit, and then you have one of the tackles, Robert Scott, and then the backup tackle, um Washington. Uh those are your original recruits. Everybody else is a is a is a transfer. Your guards are transfers, your tackle your other tackles are transferred, your backup other tackle is a transfer. I mean, like, it's just unreal. That this is a transfer team that was built on transfers, and the fact that they gelled as much as they did last year, to, we'll see if they can continue it. I think that is a little bit scary that you have to get team to, you know, players to buy into that culture. But I mean, if that offensive line is good as good as they should be, this is going to be a wicked and scary defense or scary offense. I am sad to see the new rules that playing where the clock doesn't stop after uh, first downs. Um. I think that will temper scores scoring and temper like we won't see as big blowouts and stuff like that. so start betting the under a lot more often than you did. Um, And like, but that, and it won't be fun to see offenses that can't explode like that, not be able to do it full time. We're going to see a lot more NFL scores, like 35 instead of 42, 49. And I like the 42 and forty nines. I like the 63s, man.
0: Uh, Yeah. I, I guess I hadn't thought about it from, from that perspective in terms of like, you know, total points will probably be reduced some but i i'm interested to see they they said that they think it will only shave off about seven plays so i which to me I, at face value feels like that's a very low estimate i 100 um, agree yeah i think that it would end up being more that gets removed from a game so i i, I don't know where they got that or how they arrived at that number but um you're right. I I think again, going back to kind of where we started this conversation, I think Florida State's gonna be an exciting team. Obviously, Mike Novell is known for putting up points. I, I, watching some of his teams at Memphis were really entertaining. They had a lot of skill players that ended up being in the pros, and they averaged north of forty points, I think, three straight years. So he's a guy that knows when he has the right tools available, he knows how to utilize them to to generate points and to win games. So. I think Florida state fans uh, and that consists of a, a fair amount of our audience that uh, they, they're, they're riding high right now. They're feeling like this is uh, building to something pretty special in 2023. And we'll have to see
1: what comes of that.
0: Now, um, last, last thing that we wanted to kind of take a, a walk through, we've kind of alluded to it a couple different times. Oh, go ahead. Yeah.
1: I just want to talk about two other teams that I think are winners in this fire away. World. Sure. Yeah. And I think, we 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 kind of see this a little bit with new coaches they also become winners because they get the, they can attract the talent they're shiny it sometimes happens with the recruiting class but like sometimes it takes a little bit longer to get that recruiting class to like tweak out and and they or to fully flesh itself out because they come in at they're hired in december and then all of a sudden like the class is supposed to be or over in like a week or two after they're hired you know uh, you have the early right. signing period and what we're seeing from the these coaches is they are really shiny in the spring portal and in and, and, and right after uh, right after the, the season ends. And so I'm looking at, like, Jeff Braum at Louisville. I mean, they pulled Keith Brown, the linebacker from Oregon. They've got Cam Kelly, from, uh, the safety from North Carolina, and then Marcus Washington, a cornerback from Georgia. Like, they loaded up on players from good quality schools. Now, not necessarily starters at everywhere, but they brought in a bunch of quality depth that people want to go to this new shiny object. Um, I look at uh, Auburn. Auburn, with Hugh Freeze, is going to be way better than I expected them to be, um, at least way that better than they would have been had they kept in their current situation. Hugh Freeze is, is a nice, new, shiny person, and he's got – sorry, I'm looking for my notes on this one. Um, yeah, he's got a lot of new transfers. He, he picked up Peyton Thorne from from Michigan State, and then Caleb Burton, the wide receiver from Ohio State, and we, who else? He's got Jaden Muskrat, offensive lineman from Tulsa, and the outside linebacker from Appalachian State. I'm um, Jalen McLeod, but he's. It's interesting to me to watch these new coaches, and that's a quick way to affect your locker room and affect your change. Dion's doing it, Auburn's doing it. We're seeing, you know, uh, whoever I just mentioned, Jeff Brom doing it. So, like these coaches, that is a quick way to transfer, transform your entire locker room and get you moving in the right direction. Um, if you can't capitalize on that, I think that sets you up for failure potentially as a as a head coach nowadays.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think the, the, the timeline for showing uh, showing success on the field is, is sped up quite a bit. I, I mean, when you have Sonny Dykes come in and, and go to the national championship game in, in year one, uh, that that's part of it. Now, I don't think they were super heavy on the transfer portal. I think that was mostly just a, a change was needed, a change of scenery or a change of uh, perspective from, from the coaching staff, like, working with those players, I think that re-energized that locker room. But yeah, I, I think your point is well taken in that, you know, if I'm a player that's doing well at, and and it sounded like based on what I heard from most of those players, they're going to a school that would be considered an upgrade. And I don't mean any disrespect to, to any any of the other programs, but you mentioned a linebacker from Appalachian State going to Auburn would be considered an upgrade. Um, and I think part of that, the allure is that, Look Auburn's not where it's supposed to be, otherwise, I wouldn't be a new coach. They wouldn't have fired the coach that was here before. You're going to have the opportunity to play for a name brand to increase your own profile, and th- the competition to get on the field is likely lower than it typically would be at Auburn because I'm here like I wouldn't be here if everything was going swimmingly um, and I think the same is true at, at louisville um, louisville you, you you didn't mention one that I think is is a, an under the radar. Uh, Kevin Coleman went to Jackson state. He was a really high profile recruit uh, was, was likely choosing between Florida state, Miami and a couple of others before Dion uh, and and with his exceptional recruiting chops convinced him to go to Jackson state. He he had pretty low numbers there at Jackson state, but was just a true freshman. I think he had about, uh, I think it was just South of 300 yards receiving at Jackson state, but Jeff Brom knows what to do with, with weapons. Uh, and that one's one that I think is, is, is a sneaky good pickup and one that could potentially pay dividends sooner rather than later.
1: Oh, and if you watched him towards the end of their season, that's when he started to pick up. He started to yeah. out, outpace uh, Travis. What's the other guy's name? The other cor- the cornerback. Travis Hunter. Yeah. There you go. He started out pace Travis Hunter as far as a wide receiver goes in, in those last two games. So that my yeah. Now, Travis Hunter might have been devil teams, but you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I just think it was a sneaky good pickup, and and Brom is a, an offensive guy who has generated points and and did really good things at Purdue. I think he's going to be able to get better talent to Louisville, and that's that's an exciting one. So thanks, thanks for stopping slowing my roll before we we move on. Um, no, it's uh, it's going to be a fun year. It's kind of a new thing with the transfer portal again, having windows and and this. Spring one, again, maybe wasn't quite as, as hectic as many expected, but uh, still some, some moving and shaking going on. And with that, like, that's kind of the final opportunity by and large. I guess there's grad transfers still, but now that rosters are somewhat set, there maybe again, some of those players in the portal maybe haven't selected their destinations yet. But by and large, most of the rosters are, I think, close to finalized within a few players of, of being at that 85 scholarship limit. Uh, let's talk about early you know, futures and, and futures. We mean like uh, sports can put out how many regular season wins they anticipate a team have having in, in uh, this upcoming season. Uh, and and let's, let's just jump out and talk, uh, talk about some of these that looked to me suspect or to me as, as, as ones that were a little bit surprising. And I, I want to lead and preface this with those longtime listeners of the show know that ahead of each season, we do, a win totals draft where we'll actually draft teams and based on their total number of wins over the season, we declare a winner and uh, a loser. And I was that loser this past year. And but, I was the winner. Yeah. So you got, you've got the, the, the upper bound and the lower bound here on, on this, this two, two man episode of the pod. But I figured we, we set the cap at only looking at win totals that are six or under. So we don't want to, I don't want to, reveal any of my strategies? Certainly not that it would really much be taken seriously given, uh, how poorly I did this past year, but uh, also for Corey who did excellent. I don't want to, to, burn any of his, uh, any of his thoughts, uh, with regards to the higher wind totals. So we'll leave those be, um, but anything under six wins jump out at you
1: as, as either too high or even perhaps too low, Corey. Um, I, I don't mind just moving through this list a little bit and, and talking yeah, about teams that like I think are interesting to me. Um, so starting from the bottom, Wake Forest, um, we, we're we going to see a, a significant step back now that Sam Hartman's gone. I'm interested to see how significant it is. And it looks like Vegas is a, is right there on in line with that. Like that, that might be back to old Wake Forest where they might make a bowl. See,
0: and I, I don't see this one. Let's let's go through this real quick. Okay, Wake Forest schedule. Let's let's just play a quick wins and losses. Okay, they play Elon. Okay, win. That's a win. Yeah, uh, Vanderbilt at home. Win. That's a win uh, at Old Dominion. You never know with those ACC
1: teams in Old Dominion, but that's true. But, but look at Old,
0: Old Dominion's even lower on this list. So I'm saying that's a win. Yeah. Uh, then they have the Georgia Tech.
1: Oh yeah, Georgia Tech's got a go win. The
0: I've got them winning that game because remember, Mitch Griffiths, the new quarterback, played at the start of this last season because Sam Hartman had a, an injury or, or not even an injury, a, a medical condition. I can't remember exactly what it was. I think it was yeah, sort of, you're right. Was it a growth? I can't. I, I don't remember. Right. Um, he had some sort of medical condition that they thought would have him out almost indefinitely he ended up only missing a couple of games, but Mitch Griffiths looks sharp. Like they didn't lose a beat. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't think they're going to take quite the step back that others do. I obviously they lose AT Perry, their leading receiver from last year who's now on to the NFL, but all right, Georgia tech, I, I I've got to win. So I've got four and O heading into a bye week and then they go on the road at Clemson. Yeah. Which uh, is obviously two weeks a loss. to prepare. Okay. You're calling that a loss. I, I, I think it's a loss, but like, I'm not saying it's a definite loss. It, it's not Virginia, gonna be the shootout it
1: was last year
0: <laughs> probably true probably true um then then they're on the road again at Virginia Tech which I think is a possibility I think
1: I, I think I'm at three and a half wins I'll put them at four on that one
0: okay I have got I've got them winning that game too I don't think Virginia Tech's gonna be any good home against Pitt that'll be a dogfight
1: yeah I'm gonna call it an l I think
0: okay home against Florida State yeah, no. I, I I that one to me I like I gotta see it from Florida State before I'm willing to completely concede that but like I, I think that's a win-up game I, I I don't think I'd expect them to do it but that one's not a, a a slam dunk for Florida State either the next week they're at
1: Duke yeah and Mike Elko's teams lately have been okay and, and interesting. He's and, and they've got He's a good they have one of the best returning quarterbacks that's unheralded in ACC, in my opinion. So, I agree. I, I love Riley Leonard. I, but winnable, yeah, right? Give, like, I'll give it a half there. So I'm at, okay. what is my, am I at four and a half? Four and a half. Yeah, I, I, think I'm, and a half. I think I'm already
0: at five and a half. Yeah, I think um, you are. NC State at home. Yeah, I don't think they beat
1: NC State. I think NC State takes a step back, but All I don't right. think they're worse than Wake Forest.
0: Okay. At Notre Dame? Yeah, another loss. Okay, and
1: then at Syracuse. Man, I think that ends up being a probably win based off the series.
0: So I, I think I've got them over. You're uh, six and a half, and
1: I'm at five and a half. I'm Is that six right? and a
0: half, and, and and even then, like I'm, I that was we not saying like I'm not conceding necessarily the Pitt game, uh, and the NC State game at home. I think that they have a chance, a puncher's chance yeah. in those games, but I think they're pretty comfortably at six and a half, maybe seven. So so I think that
1: line's about right now looking at it. I'm like, okay, that line seems okay. I think it's low. Uh, This is not gambling advice. I'm going to
0: just uh, cover us because if you know, if you listen to me uh, and and you did like the George Costanza do the opposite, you'd come out with fistfuls of cash. That's true. uh, In in my estimation, that one seems
1: low. Sorry, let's let's keep going. Yeah, um, I'm looking through this. Stop me if there's a team that you think that we should talk about maybe Florida's uh, my next one I want to talk about. Yeah, let's talk about Florida. Um I think five and a half is a is a realistic line. I wonder if they do if they don't hit the six, how long Bill Billy Napier stays. I don't think Billy apier Napier's a bad coach. I don't think I, I, I just I but I think that fan base is a little over exuberant um and and may set them up to for failure. The one thing that they may have going for them and it's interesting to see this. I think Miami and Florida may have going for this is that we just watched Florida state suck for three, two years, three years. And then all of a sudden they are, everybody expects them to compete for an ACC title, potentially go to the playoffs. Like why can't we do the same? And so I think Norvell in a way has bought time for Mario Cristobal and Billy Napier. And so I think it'll be interesting to see where they end up. I think the contracts also bought them time first, but but for sure,
0: they have the blueprint of like don't don't abandon ship too quickly, otherwise you might lose out on a good thing. Yeah. Um, I, I'm right there with you. That five and a half seems a, about right. I that one's one. I I don't know. I could like I, I've gone through their schedule two or three times already this off season and said like I could see them winning eight games, and I could also see them winning only four. Like I feel like there there's a, a pretty significant. Uh, the, the spectrum of what's possible for the Florida Gators in 2023 to me, I think is, is broader this year than it has been in a while, because I don't know if, what kind of quarterback play you're going to get. And even if it's just consistent, that might uh, as stupid as this may sound, it, it might be an upgrade from, you know, the really, really highs and the really, really lows
1: of, uh, of Anthony Richardson. But that one, that one's interesting. um, cool. I remember Mark at the beginning of last year talking about how amazing Anthony Richardson was as a quarterback. And then we watched him kind of like do this up and down thing. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, like, I think you're going to have marginally better quarterback play than, than Anthony Richardson's lows, in my opinion. I don't think these quarterbacks are any good. I don't think they're that great. Billy Napier says they evaluated all the quarterbacks and they took the one they wanted. I don't think that's true. Um, And watching that spring game. I'm not, and the fact that they haven't picked up another quarterback, I am not convinced that this team can win if they're quarterback, if they have to rely on a quarterback. Now, if they can sit there and just run the damn ball, and the quarter, coach has the patience to just play, to call plays like that, if Billy Napier calls the plays right, they got a chance because that running team, that that offensive line and those running backs are going are legit, and really they, those, teams, those those play, those excellent. seven players can keep them in a game, in reality, and it's just a matter of. If your coach doesn't blow it, like I feel like, um, I, I believe Sarkeesian's kind of like that. Sarkeesian will occasionally lose you a game due to his coaching. Mario Cristobal will occasionally lose you a game due to his coaching, just because of his strategy. I don't really know Billy Napier. I haven't looked at him extensively, so I don't know if he's lost a game due to his coaching.
0: Um, lost the I bro. think he's a very good
1: in-game tactician. And so. if that's the case, then I think you, ha- I think they beat that five and a half, and they you run the damn ball the whole damn time. <laughs> Yeah, they
0: like I I do I, I'm maybe not as uh, bullish on their offensive line as you might be, but like their running back tandem is. I, I mean, there's a few others in the country. Like Michigan jumps out at me as one that immediately would have something to say about it. But right. there's not that many uh, running back tandems that are quite what the what the Florida Gators have. So um, yeah, it, they, they didn't did significantly
1: decrease their offensive
0: line from last year, did they? Uh, they have. Two guys transfer to Southern Cal. One's in the NFL. I think they return. So the answer is yes. They only did. one or two starters. So I that's the part where it's, it's an that. unknown. It's an unknown. It's not, you know, it's it's not necessarily that it is worse, but I, I, I'd have a hard time imagining it. It's better right from the word go. I
1: agree, uh, also yeah.
0: just a, a bear of a schedule where they've got yeah opening on the road in Salt Lake. Are we i going to tempted game? to look at what. T- yeah, I was. I was just saying. Like, I'm tempted to look at what tickets are there. Like, I, I look most fun. Most fun I'll have around uh, a bunch of Utah fans. Uh, go root for Micah Pittman for
1: once. Last time. That's
0: there. You go. Yeah. Uh, I remember my wife uh, again. My, we're both BYU alum for for listeners, but like last year when they played Florida, I obviously was rooting for Utah because I'm a, a Florida State fan. Uh, and just like she, the look of disdain she gave me when I was like doing the chant with the band, like, let's go Utah. Like, I, I don't know what the, I don't know what the hand motions are. I don't know what I was just doing there, but that's how it goes. Like, like, you know, that's kind of the beat. And she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, my job. Like, <laughs> Sleep on the couch tonight. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. Um, let's
0: keep, let's keep it rolling.
1: Yeah. I, I'm BYU five and a half. I am. I, BYU always plays to the level of their competition, but when they're expected to lose, they play better than when they when they are expected to win. In my opinion, so I think they end up getting to a bowl game. I think that that's probably a little bit low. I know they're in the Big Twelve. I know it's a lot of a lot of travel, but for BYU, I mean, one of the most traveled teams in the last five years since they went independent. Before, they, like that's, that's not a big deal it. to them, and they they play well in new new places. Um, I think in the last five years, four or five years historically or historically they're not great against power five but in the last five years i think they're like 60 percent win against power five so it's like that tells me that they shouldn't be that they're on the power five level we watched them go toe-to-toe with baylor two years in a row like they'll get there they'll get the six wins in my opinion
0: yeah i sorry I'll, i'll quickly read off this because i don't know if we need to go through it like every single one but they play home against sam houston uh, really good fcs program but making the jump to fbs so we'll see the uh, uh southern utah at arkansas at kansas home against cincinnati bearcats then a bye week yeah that one's that one's kind of a i think a toss up a bye i, I week. think it'd be
1: interesting to see cincinnati travel west that'll be the one thing it's like teams that go west struggle sometimes yeah
0: um uh, then a bye week, then on the road at TCU. I think that's a loss pretty comfortably. Oh wow. <laughs> um home against Texas Tech. No, yeah, I, mean, I think I'm a huge I'm a I'm I'm very bullish on what the Red Raiders could be. I love Joey Maguire. Just that's that's my coach.
1: Um <laughs> buy stock in Joey Maguire now. Yeah. Um, he for the record, Steve has sent us like gifts and videos of Joey McGuire, So he's not just bullshitting. I'm a big
0: big fan. I think that guy is awesome. Uh, So I I don't think that one's great at Texas. Not a chance. Uh, That could be what
1: Sarkeesian loses. You never know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, It'd be classic Sark. At West Virginia. Now, ordinarily, I think the Mountaineers, that's a tough road game. It's a long way to travel all the way out to West Virginia. Um, but I think it's far enough in the season they may have already fired their coach and their fan base may have checked out. So I think that <laughs> one's that one's probably a win. Iowa State. I think that one you can feel pretty good about. Uh home against Oklahoma, not a chance. At Oklahoma State. I have no idea what Oklahoma State's gonna be. I don't think it's gonna be anything good. So I've got one, two, three. Uh, yeah, I'm sitting I, I think they might get that over.
1: Yeah. I it'll be close. I think they beat teams that they shouldn't beat, like I think they beat Texas or TCU or an Oklahoma, one of those three. But I also think they lose games like a Kansas or an Iowa State.
0: Yeah, yeah, there'll be some surprises along the way. They uh, quietly had a pretty good portal save of their own. I don't know if you know about this, but Cody Epps, one of their leading receivers, jumped in the portal and then ended up deciding to stay at BYU. I think that was a, a low key a pretty pretty big
1: get oh um, I, I don't think that was a low-key people out here were panicking
0: oh yeah oh yeah but Maybe it. Cross I think national, it the national radar like Didn't that's a up. guy yeah. like to give you an example like again I, I i would take that guy on florida state's roster like if he would have stayed in the portal i would have been like we we probably ought to pursue that guy he'd be yeah. a really good addition out of the slot
1: yeah he's um, he's, he's a great guy and he brings breathed- quality player he really said like three days before that, like he bleeds bleed BYU and then he jumped to the portal and all, everybody was like, what the crap? <laughs> oh no. I, I didn't follow all of that saga super closely, but uh,
0: that was a, that was a big keep for them. I think um, yeah. next team on this list, uh, you correct me if I'm wrong, Arizona state in Arizona. Should we, should we talk about the, the two of them? Arizona state had a really awful year. They also were heavy in the portal. Uh, but not a terrible win total of five. Like, I think that would be considered a, a
1: win in year one for uh, for Dilly Dilly. I am excited to watch Dilly control a team. Like, he's been, in, he's been in places where he's been, like, with Norvell, he wasn't really allowed to call the plays as much. With, with Oregon, he was allowed to call the plays, but he had Bo Nix again. So this will be, like, not completely in your comfort zone. Like, you're running the team. But I think what he's selling is a great idea. Like, you want to become be a legend. You want to be, what like, incredible. Stay here in, in Arizona State. Make your money from, like, the community. Open up a car dealership if you're not great, you know? He's, that's what the pitch he's kind of been giving. And he's bringing everybody home. And then he picks up um, the Florida quarterback, that <laughs> debacle. What was Rashada. That? Yeah, Jalen Rashada. I mean, like, that kid was rated high for a reason. And, yeah, just because there was a debacle that happened with U- UF, like, doesn't mean his talent was decreased, but maybe like teams kind of shied away from him a little bit and since they already had their quarterback. So thank you for that. I, I mean, Arizona State's got a good chance to, to go over, I think. Yeah, I, I don't
0: know if I'm ready to, to call them over just yet, but, uh, I mean, they they got some decent pieces. I, I think the big thing that they did is they flipped that QB room in a hurry. Well, last yep. year, they were starting Emery Jones, who uh, – no disrespect, he was just not a a, a quality player at at the Division One level at QB. Where did he go? He got Dan Mullen fired. Um, did he oh go to gosh, I can't remember. I think that's right. Yeah, where I think in Cincinnati. And, and he's at Cincinnati, and, and that fits with with Scott Satterfield's system there. So that that might be something where they can make something happen. Um, but yeah, just wasn't. I I don't know. Like Emory Jones wasn't anything special. They brought in a few different players. To, to To compete for that job. I really don't know who's going to start. I think there's some smoke that Rashada could potentially be the starter as a true freshman, but you also have Drew Pine, a serviceable player from Notre Dame. Again, I, I don't think he's uh, a world beater, but they also brought in Jacob Conover from it's BYU, BYU right? who was, uh, yeah, he was a really solid player. I happened to be behind a, you know, an NFL draft pick in Jaron Hall. Like uh, that BYU QB room for the last little bit has been really, really stacked. So, The fact that you haven't made the field at BYU is nothing. That's not a a black mark on your resume necessarily. Like so. Yeah. If he hadn't left, I don't think they would have brought brought in Ken Slovis though either. I I think you're right. I think I think he would have just been your starter. So, um, we'll see who ends up starting there. But I think there's there's some opportunity for them. Arizona sitting at five to me feels that that feels like easy money. I think that's an over. Okay. Um, and, And I'll I'll tell you what. Yeah, give me a reasoning. Uh, number one, they just they i mean, they—they are—they're a decent team, right? They have Jaden Delora, the previous uh, quarterback at Washington State. They obviously lost one of their wide receivers to USC and Dorian Singer, uh, but they have—I hope I'm saying this name right—Tatei Roa McMillan. It was a true freshman last year, went for like 800 yards, and is a bona fide superstar at wide receiver. Jed Fish, I love him as an offensive play caller. And they've got a fairly navigable schedule. Now, a, a road game against Mississippi State, that's not oh. ideal. But you're also getting Mississippi State that's changing out of an air raid team and going to a, a more pro-style offense. How's that going to work? How's uh, – goodness, I'm blanking their quarterback's name, Rogers. Eli Rogers? Am I getting that wrong? I can't remember the quarterback's first name. But uh, how does he fit in the, at a different system other than, than Mike Leach's? I don't know, but so they've got other out of conference games, Northern Arizona, UTEP, at Stanford. I think that's a win. Home against Washington? Probably not. At USC? Probably not. At Washington State? Maybe, maybe not. I'm not sure. Then you get a bye week and then you host Oregon State. The Beavers, tough game, but you do get it at home and off a week's rest. Then you host UCLA. Then you're at Colorado. I think that's a win. At Arizona State, I think, is a win. You host Utah. Oh, sorry. I read those out of order. At Colorado, host Utah. At Arizona State. Um, I think that they've got a pretty good pretty good shot at it. But you need one of uh, Washington State. I guess you need one of Washington State, UCLA, and Oregon State to fall your way. Which I think yeah. asking for one of those is not
1: too much to ask. Honestly, I'm looking at like three and a half, maybe four. Wow, oh, really? Like I, I see you beating Arizona, Northern Arizona. I see you beating Utah. Maybe Stanford, and then maybe Colorado. I don't think you. I would beat say definitely either. Stanford. Oh. Yeah, like pro- I would I, say, I say Stanford. I'd probably Stanford, but then like maybe Colorado. But I don't think you beat Arizona State. I don't think you beat Utah. I mean UCLA has to reload right with their quarterback and and, and top wide receiver off the NFL. But I still th- believe in Chip Kelly and, and being successful there. Um, Oregon yeah,
0: State. I, I think that's probably the least likely of them. But Oregon State having to travel all the way to to the desert, I think yeah. I think there's a, a decent chance. To, you know, DJU on the road. I, I, I'm expecting a road
1: get kind of like a new life from DJ of this year, a little bit. I,
0: I think so too. Like I, I think that's the case. But I'm just saying, like that that is a game that he has not proved that he usually performs super strongly in. So um, we'll see. Yeah, that one's one that I think is is interesting. So excited to see what happens uh, in in the southwest corner of the uh, of the nation. Other teams that maybe warrant a quick chat. Let's see here. Anyone else jump out to you? Um, I I was going to talk about Colorado, and that's probably it. Yeah, let me just give you two more that I I like. These are not like slam dunks, but like uh, real quick. West Virginia, that's a really interesting one. I just, I, I don't know. They, they, I feel like they've been gutted by the transfer portal the last two years. So that I, I might lean under there. Um, but although I hope Garrett Green does great, he's a, a Childs High School alum. So uh, their, their quarterback went yeah. to our same high school. So pulling for him, but that one seems like an under. Georgia Tech, I, I think this is low. I think this is low for Georgia Tech. You um, think Georgia Tech's going to be
1: better than
0: they are, huh? I think Georgia Tech's going to be better than that. Sorry, I'll run through their schedule real fast. Um, well, they lost some, their quarterback, yeah. right? They lost their quarterback, but they may have upgraded. They got Haynes King, the, the, the Texas a and guy. That was,
1: yeah. yeah it was was
0: Kind of handcuffed in Jimbo's system. Didn't let him be a playmaker and go around. And, and a big part of his game is running and making plays. And it wasn't able to do that there. Um and, and they got a couple of other pickups that I think are, are kind of sneaky good. I don't have that right in front of me. But, again, you're looking at four and a half. You've got – here, I'll, I'll highlight the games that I think are winnable. Um, uh, South Carolina State, I think that's probably a win. Uh, home against the Bowling Green Falcons. Uh, do I dare say at Miami as, as a winnable game? I'm mostly it should joking should have been there. last year. I, I'm mostly joking there. They were They were very competitive in that game until their true freshman quarterback, who shouldn't have been – Playing got injured in that game. Uh, anyway, so I've got two Boston College at home. I think that's a win. At Virginia, I think that's a win. And then home against Syracuse, I think is also a potential is a win. So I think there's a, a decent chance that they get that over at five. Yeah, I think it's a possibility. Anyway, yeah, let's go. Let's talk to color. Let's talk Colorado, and and
1: we can wrap. Okay, so Colorado has a hard schedule in, in my opinion, but I just. I feel like you don't know what this team is, and you don't know what Dion's going to do. It's a little bit like a – I mean, can you go back and watch his his, his JSU and say, like, this is going to be the same team? Like, I don't think you can. I don't even like,
0: think so because it's a different coordinator. Exactly. Yeah, they're a,
1: they're a total mystery. And that's what I think that they have going for them. Like, I think I, – I, I don't think it will happen, but I wouldn't be surprised if they surprised TCU. Like game one, and just show up, and like everybody's like, holy crap, and now Colorado's a talk. Um, I think they could beat Nebraska. Um, I I cannot wait for that game because Matt Rule hates Dion, and, and it's just kind of like storylines in that one.
0: that one. That one's juicy for that reason, for sure. Yeah.
1: But then, like, you play Colorado State, that's winnable. Um, but then you play like Oregon, USC, Arizona State, probably not going to be Arizona State, but then you play Stanford, that's a win potentially. Um, you go UCLA, Oregon State, Arizona, and then Washington State and Utah State Utes. So it's a hard schedule, but I if, I think you could find potentially more than three wins in that. Um, If you're going to pick three, it's got to be like Nebraska, Stanford, or Stanford, and then Colorado State, don't you think?
0: Yeah, Colorado State, definitely. Um, Stanford, definitely. It, it, is it three or three and a
1: half? Um, there, I think it's sitting at three total
0: sitting at three. So yeah, then you get the push protection. You don't even have to, you don't even have to get that fourth. Um, yeah, I think one of, of the following three games is probably your best chance. Um, I would say at, yeah, at TCU is probably not going to be an easy, but that place is going to be, that's going to be a rabid environment after the heck of a season they had this last year. Going in there, season opening, they've got everything in front of them still. That one to me I don't think is, is quite as winnable. Hosting Nebraska I think is one that they got a shot at. The other mm-hmm. one I would say, and I know this is going to sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but like if you're looking for ones that – for Colorado, hosting Arizona toward the end of the year, um, that might be a potential one. I don't know what the change in altitude is between, uh, between yeah. Tucson and, and Boulder. But yeah, you know, people people say that, that 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 has an effect. So I, I don't know what the change in altitude would be there. Um, but maybe that's that, that's the only one. The back half I think is is really rough. At UCLA yeah. home against Oregon State, home against Arizona again I think is the most winnable. I don't think I wouldn't project them to win. But if, if you're looking for one, at Washington State, maybe the step down in competition. But it's a, that's all along or it's you know it's on the road, and then at Utah, I, that one I they're not winning. I don't think. Um, three, so so I, I think that those are the ones that you'd have to look for if you're trying to find a well, way and, to, and then by that, that point in time TKP team with...
1: will know who they are you know yeah. because I mean you got well, who got Charles Kelly running the defense and then who's running the offense again Sean Lewis the That's former right. yeah. uh, Toledo head coach is that right I
0: think I Toledo to like, I
1: don't know it was one of the theorists. but yeah I'm interested to see how the season goes. It'll be exciting. So, Yeah.
0: Um, any kind of final thoughts or parting shots before we...
1: Um, you made a comment about, like, you thought most players, coaches, uh, the, the transfer exodus right after uh, spring for, for Colorado is weird, and how most coaches are looking for transfers in. I feel like Dion used that either as, like, almost as, like, tryouts. Like... Oh, oh! You guys are good enough to be on my team. You guys, bye. All right, we'll take in the next round of talent. We'll see how you are, and come fall practice. If we need to get rid of some of you guys, we'll get rid of you of my guys. Some of you guys, and if we need to add a few more, we'll try and add a few more. Like, it, it's, no, an it's interesting not a bad perspective.
0: No, I think I think that's I think. I mean, that makes a lot more sense than kind of what I I I kind of was again was confused by that. That to me makes a little bit more sense. I've got the opportunity to evaluate that person over spring practice and, and decide is that person able to contribute here uh, at the level that we need or or no also just a, a quick uh kind of follow-up sean lewis was the head coach at kent state not toledo toledo's jason candle um who explored potentially doing the miami job but opted to stay at gotcha. Toledo. so excuse me for that to speak um no, that's the, yeah, other, that, that's interesting that, that's, you know, that's the evaluation period basically. And, and, and if, if you're up to snuff perfect and if you're not uh, find you a different home so I can uh, have space on my roster to bring in someone who can contribute. Yeah. Um, man, uh, I, I don't have anything else. Did you have anything else? Otherwise we'll wrap.
1: Um, The only thing I'm interested in seeing is, is come these summer months, how recruiting shakes up because you have a lot of, Recruiting visits in the middle of June, all throughout June, and then you have the dead period for a little bit. And a lot of people make those commitments, you know, end of June, early July, whatever else. And, and so I think that's when we're starting to see how the full picture will be. I think you have a lot of teams really on the edge of like, can they have a great recruiting class or are they going to have a terrible recruiting class? Like Miami. I mean, Miami could be great or they could be terrible. And it, it'll be interesting to see if they can sell people on, on where they are. Because a lot of times you'd use your, you'd use your, your year to like try and get people to commit during the year and like, oh, we're playing great ball commit. And this, you don't have that anymore. It's got to, most kids are committed before their senior year of football and they are going on. So this next semester, this next year won't really affect the next player. So we're going to find out the the tape a lot, I think, in this next four, three, four months.
0: Yeah, that that is interesting. I think there's a couple things that to me are surprising as that recruiting calendar has changed. One of them being like, you know, with with kind of the change in the early signing period, obviously players are making decisions quicker. Opening up the the official visit windows so that they can take those official visits in the summer, I think is obviously facilitating this quite a bit. But to me, the other part that's really interesting now, and this is new as of this year, is that now you can have more than five official visits. So here here's what I suspect ends up happening with with those types of teams, right? the ones that have this you know a a dream season or or a season that they would consider to be on par with where they need to be to kind of show the right trajectory like nothing's going to happen but if there's one of those that's all the rage and and has a lot of buzz in the summer and and ends up getting a lot of commitments early on and they've already they've already used that sort of uh, use that arrow in their quiver of the official visit during the summer if they struggle during the year and I'm a program that's doing well and has you know, done my evaluations on some of those recruits. And maybe, maybe we weren't in those that final five for that kid, but he ends up choosing a place that maybe has a down year, and now the coaches, uh, you know, the coaches' position or longevity is now in question at that school. I'm not suggesting specifically Miami, but like something like that where they, they have a lot of off season buzz, generate a lot of commitments, and have a class that's really on paper is, is really strong but maybe the season doesn't live up to expectations and there's some of those seeds of doubt have been sown in players' minds, I might be able to circle back around and say, hey, you haven't used an official visit to us and we're having a great season. Come here. I bet you that's where things get really wild is in those last couple of weeks after the regular season has concluded where you're going to see a lot of kind of, uh, I don't even know what the right word is for it, but just kind of like where programs will circle back to recruits that, what? (laughs) Poaching. poach. Yeah, sure. That, that's a good word for it. But just I'll, I would circle back if it's like, hey, you know what? Recruiting at this position hasn't gone quite the way we wanted it to. We had some good conversations with this kid earlier before he committed to a school that maybe is now feeling like their coaching staff is on shaky ground. Let's just see if he's got any doubts. And and and, and if he does, like come in, come take an official visit to us because you didn't take one in the summer. That's where you're seeing most recruits take all of their official visits in the summer, at least four or five of them. Uh, when I say all of them, like historically you only had five to do, but many of them are taking that many in those. And once you visit a specific school, unless that school has a coaching change, you cannot revisit that one. So you can have as many official visits as you want, but they are to different schools unless there's a coaching change. Uh, and so that, that might be an opportunity for a, a team to sort of swoop in with a late official visit where the other team can't counter with their own and potentially po- poach like you said, I like that word that's the right word poach some of those recruits at the 11th hour if maybe the, the season didn't go according to plan for the school
1: for the school that they initially committed to I mean, we may see, see the rich that's my hypothesis to get... yeah and that's a great hypothesis we, we may see the rich continue to get richer because hey we had a good season you know we're still rolling up come on. Yeah, or, or a team
0: that surprises might be able to go swoop in and, and, and grab someone from a, a team that maybe was expected to do more and, and yeah. didn't quite live up to expectations. Anyway, I, I think that's fascinating. I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up just for a, a little extra tidbit there. Um, I don't have anything else. Should we wrap? Let's wrap. All right. Uh, before we do, the last thing, just for all of our listeners, if you got this deep into the show, number one, thank you. Uh, number two... Uh, I don't know if you've been noticing, but on social, we're starting to get a little bit more active. So uh, again, on Twitter, we're now, I've changed the handle, it's at CFBPaint underscore. Uh, On YouTube, you can go to youtube.com slash CFBPaint. We've got uh, a lot of shorts coming out there that are pretty kind of neat. A lot of those are the trivia questions which we alluded to in our last episode, so feel free to uh, stick around and and pay attention to those. Uh, Instagram, we're at CFBPaint, that's our handle. Feel free to engage with us us there. Write in if you have questions. We appreciate the question from Kyle. And we will see you next time. Thank you so much.